The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbour shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Do you know who the Lord is? Do you know who the Lord is? It's it's been a big theme of Exodus so far, Uh, ever since Moses uh, met with God in the burning bush. And God tells Moses that, that he is the Lord. I am who I am. The independent, unchanging, unshakable one. Uh, his own people, God's own people, are going to know, chapter 6, verse 7, that I am the Lord your God who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know too, chapter 7, verse 5, that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And last week we looked at the the first nine plagues. Uh, And again and again, God says that those are to show everyone that he is the Lord. In control of everything. A God who judges his enemy. A God who rescues his people. But as each of those plagues came and went, God's people were still in slavery under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh did not let God's people go. I I don't know what your uh, favorite TV or film series is. Uh, Maybe it's the Avengers. Uh, For those under 50, um, that means Marvel. For those over 50, that means Mrs. Peel. Each plague in Exodus is an episode in a series that we could call The Avenger. The Israelites are enslaved and oppressed by Egypt and God will avenge them. 
He says in in chapter 7 that he will multiply signs and wonders and freedom will come by great acts of judgment on the oppressor. So, tensions building with each episode, with each plague, another powerful supernatural judgment, and each time, is this the one when Pharaoh will give in? And each time, no. So just like a a good TV series, with each play gets to be continued. And so here we are in in episode 10, the series finale. So page 64, chapter 11, verse 1. Do have a look at that. We'll be looking through chapter 11 through to 13. And in verse 1 of chapter 11, It says, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh. Just one more. And upon Egypt, and afterwards he will let you go from here. This is it. Just one more. Series will be over. The plot will be resolved. Pharaoh gives up, and the people are freed. So, uh, that's my first heading. Um, Saved from slavery. By God's judgment. Saved from slavery by God's judgment. Now, if you'd been watching this series for the first time, you might have guessed what the final plague will be because there was a spoiler in chapter 4. See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And now it's about to happen. In chapter 11, Moses tells Pharaoh that this time, in verses 4 to 6, God himself will come to Egypt in judgment. And every firstborn in the land will die. Rich and poor, human and animal. There'll be death in every household. The eldest son in every family will die. It will be unutterably terrible. But verses 7 and 8, it won't affect the Israelites They will live, and the Egyptians will beg for them to leave. Well, this judgment isn't conditional this time. This final plague will come, and God's people will be set free. And we've seen what God has done in the the nine previous plagues. We know it's for real. So imagine um, an Israelite family. Uh, 12-year-old Benjamin and his little sister, Rebecca. They've, they've only ever known life as slaves. They've seen the suffering of their mum and dad baking bricks without straw. They've seen their uncle beaten by an Egyptian slave driver. And now they hear this news. How would they feel? Eager excitement? That the freedom that we've we've waited so long for, is nearly here. Joyful hope, looking forward to the, to the promised land. 
Or maybe a, a vengeful satisfaction. The Egyptians are finally getting what they deserve. They killed Hebrew boys and now it's their turn. Or perhaps a, a nervous anxiety. Pharaoh might lash out in one last act of, of anger. Or whatever they were feeling. There's only a little longer to wait. So uh, skip ahead to uh, verse 29 of chapter 12. Page 65. Midnight comes. And so does the Lord. And just as he promised in chapter 11, so it happens. From palace to prison, in every family... And in every farmyard, the firstborn is struck down. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians tell God's people to go. They even give them silver and gold to take with them, just as God had promised. The people are free. And they leave in their hundreds of thousands. 430 years of exile and slavery are over. God's promises have come true. They know that he is the Lord. The Lord who has complete power, victorious over Pharaoh, freeing his people. How, how were they to respond? Well, in worship, like they did back in chapter 4, verse 31, they bowed their heads and worshipped. In service, chapter 4, verse 23, let my son Israel... Go, that he may serve me. God has set his people free from serving Pharaoh in oppressive slavery for serving God in joyful worship. Well, that that seems to be a great ending for the series. God's made himself known. Evil is punished. His people are set free to serve God in the promised land. It's what we've been waiting for for 10 episodes. But as with all, with many good TV shows, there's that twist in the final episode. And we missed it because we skipped from 11 verse 10 to 12 verse 29. So we saw the amazing story of God judging Egypt and rescuing his people from Pharaoh but we didn't see the huge thing that happens in the first half of chapter 12. Because God's people aren't just saved from slavery by God's judgment. They're saved from God's judgment by a substitute. They're saved from God's judgment by a substitute. So this is verses 1 to 28 of chapter 12. Now in verse, um, 11 of, of, in verse 7 of chapter 11, um, God says that he'll make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So only Egyptian families will suffer the death of the firstborn. And God had made a, a distinction before in some of the other plagues, the flies, death of livestock, the hail, the darkness. It hadn't affected the Israelites. But this time it's different. Because this time God spells out how that distinction is made. And that's what chapter 12 is about. It's about how in in each household, 
a lamb must be sacrificed so that the firstborn won't die. A lamb must die instead of the eldest son. So the lamb is a substitute for the firstborn. Either the lamb dies or the eldest son dies. If you want the son to live, you must kill the lamb in its place. So from verse 3 to 11, um, God tells Moses and Aaron what's to be done. On the same evening, each Israelite family has to kill a perfect lamb without any blemishes. Then they smear its blood around the front door and they roast and eat the lamb quickly, ready to leave Egypt. That was the Passover meal. And it was the blood that marked them out as different from the Egyptians. Look at verse 12. God was going to pass through Egypt in judgment. Every house would suffer death. But verse 13. If he saw blood on the doorposts, he would pass over that house and the firstborn would live. Or or look ahead to verse 21. Uh, Moses and Aaron gather the leaders of Israel together and tell them the plan. Uh, Kill the lamb, smear the blood on the door. Uh, Verse 23, God will pass through in judgment, but over those homes where he sees the blood. Imagine Benjamin and Rebecca. Their dads just got home with those instructions. And I wonder how they feel now. It suddenly seems a lot closer to home. This isn't just a punishment for those awful Egyptians. They can't just watch this episode from the sofa with a box of popcorn. God himself is coming through Egypt in judgment and all the firstborn sons will die. God's judgment would fall on Israelites too. Benjamin will die unless unless his dad kills the lamb and paints the doorposts with its blood. Or maybe dad thinks this is uh, silly. Uh, Lambs are expensive. Uh, God knows everything. He knows which homes are Israelite and and which are Egyptian. He, He doesn't need a door covered in gore to know who's who. Well, of course God knows who lives where, but that isn't what's going to save them from judgment. God's judgment doesn't depend on nationality or where you live. When the the perfectly holy God comes in person among unholy people, judgment comes to Egyptian and Israelite alike. No one is good. No one is holy before God. So what saves the Israelites isn't living in Goshen or being Hebrew. It's whether or not a lamb has been sacrificed as a substitute. There will be death in every household. The question is, is it a lamb or a child? So I don't think Benjamin thinks a lamb is too expensive. And of course, nor do mum and dad. 
that they know who the Lord is. They trust his word and they obey. Look at verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So they did. But I imagine some of them were still quite nervous as the clock ticked to midnight. Benjamin's best friend next door, Reuben, he's scared. Oh, his dad's done the lamb thing. The blood is on the door. But Reuben just isn't sure. He knows God spared them from some of the other plagues, but he remembers the boils and the locusts, and they all suffered from those. And his house has got a little porch over the front door. And what if God can't see the blood? And Reuben remembers how nasty he'd been to Rebecca last week. What if God punishes him anyway? Well, Benjamin tries to reassure him. It's okay. We've trusted God. We've put the blood on the door, so now we're safe. God has promised he will free us. I don't know which of uh, those two you would identify with more. But here's the thing. Which of them survives? They both do. Reuben and Benjamin are both saved from judgment. Why? Because it's all about the substitute. It's not about how good they are or how nervous they feel. What makes the difference is the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. So they're saved from judgment by a substitute. And that's the big twist in the story. That's what made all the difference between the end of chapter 11 and verse 29 of chapter 12. So episode 10 and the series is over. But with all good series, you want to keep it. Um, you get the box set if you still have DVDs. And it's, it's there on your shelf, isn't it? Um, friends come round and they know that you're a fan of Harry Potter or uh, Line of Duty or Camberwick Green. I do, I do have that one. And... There on the shelf, it keeps reminding you of how good it is. And every so often you watch it again. And that's what the Israelites are to do with the Passover. It's so good, they need to remember it. Not by watching it again, but by eating the Passover meal every year. Look at verse uh, 14, chapter 12. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And then uh, verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And there's a slide to show these big chunks of chapters 12 and 13, which are about how to remember the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the, the seven days immediately after, remembering um, how they had to eat bread without yeast as they hurried away from Egypt. In fact, the, the escape from Egypt is so important that it changes their whole calendar. Look at verse 2. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It's day zero. This is where their new life begins as God's people freed to serve him. And it starts with Passover, with the sacrifice of a lamb every year. They're never to forget that they needed a substitute to save them from judgment. 
But there's something else in the story of Passover, another twist. But this time, one that doesn't get resolved in the final episode. How many series have you watched um, only to discover at the end that it's not, it's not over? Uh, you thought all those loose ends would be wrapped up in the final episode. But H isn't who you thought H was, or whoever, whatever it is. But no, and there's another big cliffhanger. Uh, but rather than wait till next Saturday, you've got to wait a whole year. Well, have a look at, at chapter 13, verse 1. See, after we think it's all done, God tells Moses that all the firstborn are to be consecrated to him. And verses 11 to 16 of chapter 13 explains what that means. When they get to the promised land, every firstborn animal must be redeemed or sacrificed. Every firstborn son must be redeemed. A redeemed means to, to buy back from. They had to pay money to God to have their child back. It's like there's unfinished business. The sacrifice of the lamb at Passover wasn't the end of the story. The firstborn still needed to be bought back. A lamb was never a sufficient substitute to save God's people from the judgment that we deserve for our sin. Passover was a picture of what was needed. It wasn't the real thing. That The lamb was like that model village. It represents a bigger sacrifice, the real one the, one, the one that really saves us from judgment forever and never needs to be repeated. But every time that they celebrated Passover, every time they had to redeem their firstborn sons, it was a reminder that it's not sorted yet. It was meant to point God's people to a future hope when there would be a perfect sacrifice. It pointed to Jesus. Jesus is our perfect substitute. Jesus is our perfect substitute. In uh, Luke's gospel, he goes out of his way to connect Jesus' death with the Passover. So again and again in Luke 22, he says it's Passover as Jesus has his last meal with his disciples talks about his death, and tells them that the the bread and wine symbolize his body, his blood, his life that he's giving for them. That, That this is what they have to remember, Jesus' sacrifice for his people when he died on the cross. So just as as Passover for, for the Israelites was the focal point, the thing to remember, so Jesus' death on the cross for us, is the the central focus of our faith. It's what we remember every time we have communion. It's, It's what brings and holds us together as church. It's what saves each one of us. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, later describes Jesus as the lamb without blemish or spot. Just like this lamb in, in Exodus 12. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is the real sacrificial Passover lamb, the one that that all those other lambs, every year since the Exodus, were a symbol of. He's the, the real substitute, the perfect one who dies instead of us 
to save us from God's judgment. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus uh, in, in the Gospel of John, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is our sin. Our rebellion against God is our failure to live up to his perfect holiness. Our failure to love him and each other as we should. That's the sin that means we face God's judgment. A judgment that's even more terrible than the judgment that fell on Egypt. The holy God cannot stand sin. And sin will be judged. The plagues on Egypt are a picture of that judgment, of suffering and death, of being shut out of God's presence forever. But God, in his mercy and love, has provided a substitute who died instead of us, who took our sin on himself and took the punishment in our place. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross at Passover. It's his blood that saves his people. And, and just as the Israelites need to trust in the blood on the doorposts, we need to trust in the blood that Jesus shed for us. God sees that blood and his judgment will pass over us. But if we don't trust in Jesus, God's judgment will not pass over us. We need to trust him. Remember Reuben and Benjamin? It, it wasn't about how good each of them had been or not been. Uh, it wasn't about how confident they felt. It was about whether the lamb had been sacrificed or not. Was there blood over the door? And so for us, it's not, it's not about whether you're a good person or not, a, a, a better person than whoever's sitting next to you right now. Maybe you are. Maybe, maybe you're a lot worse. In God's eyes, we're all sinners. And sin deserves judgment. And it's not about how strong your faith is and how, how confident you feel. We're not, we're not saved by how sure we are. We're saved by how sure the blood of Jesus is. My hope is built on nothing less. We need to trust him. Do you know who the Lord is? In chapter 6 of, of Exodus, verse 7, God said... You shall know that I am the Lord, your God. If, if we trust that Jesus has died in our place to save us, we do know who the Lord is. Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. Do you know this? If so, we will love and worship and serve him. Because his death saves us from God's judgment and he saves us from the slavery of our sin. So we're freed. Freed to, to live and enjoy the life that he means, means us to have. At that first Passover, God defeated the enslaver Pharaoh. At the cross, he defeated the enslaver Satan. The Israelites were, were freed from slavery in Egypt for a new life in the promised land. And we're freed from sin to live for Jesus now and forever. But if we, if we don't know Jesus as Saviour, then one day we will know who the Lord is. 
but we will know him as judge, and it will be terrible. Now, most of us here do know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, but maybe not all of us, not yet. So as we finish, I want to look at one last part of the Passover story that we only briefly mentioned. The Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were were all about urgency. There's no time for the yeast to rise, no time to gut the lamb, dressing clothes ready to run. Chapter 12, verse 11, eat it in haste. Some of you might know what uh, this is. Um, It's the doomsday clock um, from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. It's a measure of how close they think we are to um, global catastrophe, how how near we are to midnight. Um, When they started this in 1947, they said we were seven minutes to midnight. Um, And a couple of weeks ago, they said we're 90 seconds to midnight. Whatever you think about the truth of that. The point is to stress the urgency, to do something about it. The clock is ticking. Don't just stand there. Look back at um, chapter 11, verse 4. And Moses said, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt will die. And then in verse 29 of chapter 12, that's exactly what happened. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. So now imagine Benjamin and Rebecca at home that night. Mum and Dad, they, they did get the lamb, but it's still tied up outside, bleating. It's, um, it's 8 p.m. They're watching the latest Avengers movie, and Rebecca asks, have you killed the lamb yet? Not yet, plenty of time after the film, says Dad. 10 p.m. Benjamin says, uh, Dad, we, um, we do need to get that blood on the door. Uh, I've just got to get a swift pipe before the pub closes. I'll do it when I get back. 11.30. Benjamin and Rebecca and their mum are getting quite anxious now. Don't worry, I've just got to put the bins out. 11.45, really agitated. Benjamin is crying for his dad to get on with it. It's ludicrous. You just wouldn't do that. No one would leave it to the last minute. You don't wait until it's minutes to midnight. You you don't leave it to the last moment. There was an urgency. Do it quickly. Don't dawdle. Well, you wouldn't hang around with something so serious even when you knew exactly how long you had left, as the Israelites did. But we have no idea when Jesus will return in judgment. We have no idea when midnight is. No idea how many minutes to midnight it is now. So please don't hang around. If you don't yet know who the Lord is, now is the time to know him. Now is the time to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Let me close with a prayer. I'll, I'll... put these words on the screen and and let's spend a moment in silence before I pray it. If if it is now time for you to pray this, please pray it silently with me.
Father God, I know that I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me. Thank you that he was the perfect Passover lamb who took my punishment on himself. Please forgive me. Please free me from my sin to love and serve you. Thank you that I can know you as my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen.